it is good to be with you again. Good to, to see all of you here today. And, uh, and uh, today I am going to be, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah. Uh, I've been uh, reading through Isaiah in the mornings. And uh, we'll take a look at a, uh, a passage in Isaiah that you're probably all pretty familiar with. Uh, it's Isaiah chapter 6, and if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to follow along as, uh, as we read that. But before we uh, actually read the book, I just wanted to mention uh, a little bit of the, the background. Um, it's uh, Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah has the vision of God as he's worshiping there in the temple, and I've entitled our study this morning, Understanding Worship, because I believe that this, although it's certainly uh, to us a very unusual circumstances, it contains the elements of worship uh, that we should all, in one sense, be uh, experiencing. But uh, just a, a word about Isaiah, who he was. He was uh, an eighth century prophet, uh, who uh, was sent by God to the kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And uh, partly, uh, part of his uh, prophetic ministry to these kings was uh, to uh, help them to, to stay away from disastrous uh, alliances with surrounding nations and uh, to encourage them to seek God and, and uh, humbly rely upon God instead of other nations uh, it was a very volatile situation. We, there were invaders coming in. There were alliances being formed. And um, Israel had to, uh, or Judah at the time, had to know uh, who to trust and, and who to uh, uh, ally themselves with. And so the, part of the prophet's message was that they need to, to uh, not to ally themselves with uh, nations that didn't know or trust God, but to ally themselves and, and to rely upon the Lord to be their strength and their defender. Uh, and so a, a large part of the book of uh, Isaiah uh, is dealing with these coming invasions, first by the Assyrians as they would carry off the northern tribes of Israel, and then uh, the Babylonians who would come later and uh, uh, lay waste to Judah, destroy the temple, and carry the people away into exile for 70 years. Uh, so that's bad news. Uh, there's a lot of uh, bad news in, in Isaiah, but there's also good news that God would bring his people back there. The nation would be uh, restored. The temple would be rebuilt. And the best thing about Isaiah is that in the Old Testament, it is one of the uh, clearest presentations of Christ. Uh, that we'll find in the entire Old Testament. And as we come up to Christmas, we've all read Isaiah chapter 9 about uh, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, and uh, a presentation of Christ. And then later on in the book, Isaiah 53, which is uh, a picture of the suffering servant as he goes to the cross for our redemption. So um, there's a lot in the book of Isaiah, and we won't uh, even touch on most of that today. But uh, Isaiah chapter 6 is really about worship because the problem that Judah and Israel had was faulty worship. Uh, they offered hypocritical sacrifices at the altar. 
and at times didn't even worship uh, the true God. They, they worshiped idols. And so uh, as a result of that, a lot of the problems that they got into were because they didn't worship God correctly. They didn't know the God that they were worshiping. And uh, so that led them into other sins such, such as uh, dealing unjustly with the poor. But I believe that the same issues that uh, Isaiah dealt with are present in our society today. By and large, the world's problem is that most people just don't know how to worship. They don't know who to worship. And that has led us into a multitude of sins and problems that we can't seem to solve. Uh, there, uh, we have poverty, world hunger, crime, human trafficking, terrorism, war, disease, uh, COVID, right? And uh, there's a, a reason why the world is in so much turmoil. And it all comes back to the very first two commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not make for yourself an idol. And uh, Isaiah's prophecies are meant to be corrective of that. But here in chapter 6, we see a scene of worship in which Isaiah is commissioned as a prophet and he's set to bring both warning and help and hope. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please follow along Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they're cut down. So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. And there at the very end is the hope 
for Israel, the holy seed, Christ, would come from that stump. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we ask today that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart of understanding and that you would give us hands and feet to do your will. And so, Lord, bless this time of study and meditation in your word. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. David Wells, in his book, No Place for Truth, mentions what some famous skeptics thought of God. John Paul Sartre wrote of God as silent, as having the silence of a corpse. <laughs> Friedrich Nietzsche thought him to be dead. Holderin imagined him absent. So that's what the skeptics thought of God. But you know what? Maybe there's a bit of a skeptic in all of us. Maybe there have been times when we felt like we needed God, but he didn't come through for us. Or he didn't answer our prayers. Or because of that, and because of that, he became a bit more distant to us. Or a little bit more theoretical than real and interested in what was going on in our lives. Anybody ever felt that way? <laughs> yeah. But obviously, Isaiah didn't have that point, or at least he didn't in the chapter we were in, read uh, just a, a minute ago. Uh, if anything, Isaiah got much more out of his worship encounter than he ever bargained for. I want to take a, a little closer look at this experience of worship and draw from it what I believe are some universal principles of normal worship. And when I use the word normal, I don't mean usual worship, or I don't... Uh, I'm not talking about the mean of worship, but rather what, was God, what is God's norm for worship, what he wants us to experience in worship. This is normal worship. And the first thing we notice from our text is that worship is clarifying. It is clarifying. It makes things clear. When we worship God in spirit and truth, as Jesus says there in John chapter 4, we begin to see ourselves in the light of God's plans and purposes. What was blurry and hazy and undefined becomes sharper and more focused. There's a story in Mark chapter 8 in which Jesus heals a blind man and he spits on the man's eyes. And when Jesus asks him, uh, do you see anything? He replies, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. He sees kind of like I see when I take my glasses off, okay? I can't see anything. Uh, but you know what? I think that's where a lot of people are spiritually. They know there's something out there, but they can't really define it. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to them. But Jesus wasn't finished with this man. He put his hands on the man, man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And this is where Jesus wants us to be in our worship, in, in our relationship with him. He wants us to see clearly. He wants us to see and know spiritual reality, such as what is God's will for my life? He wants us to know what are my spiritual gifts? Uh, 
he wants us to discern between actual good and evil and not necessarily what society tells us is good and evil. You know there's a difference there between what society says is good and evil and what God says is good and evil. God wants us to avoid the pitfalls along our path and not make the mistakes that many make and bring their lives into ruin. God wants to guide you in the daily decisions that you make and lead you beside the still waters and restore your soul, as Psalm 23 tells us. But when we come to worship God, either publicly in church or privately in our homes, what is it, folks, that we need to see first? When we enter into worship, what is it that we need to see? Well, what did Isaiah see first when he entered the temple? Well, he saw Jesus there on the throne. He saw Jesus being worshipped by the angels. He saw Jesus' holiness, that Jesus is too holy to look with favor upon what is evil. He saw his glory and his strength and his power as the room filled with smoke and the thresholds and, and doors of the temple began to shake. Isaiah saw what Moses saw when he went up on the, the mountain to uh, Mount Sinai and he met with God and received the law and when he came back down his face was shining from having been in the presence of God. That's what Isaiah saw. And in this encounter with Jesus, for us, when we begin to encounter Jesus, it begins to strip us of the non-essentials in our lives. And it causes us to align our priorities with God's priorities. It makes us interested in evangelism and world missions. And it causes us to pray for the spread of the gospel throughout the world. I remember my dad um, passed away back in 2009. He used to pastor a small Presbyterian church in South Carolina, out in the country. And uh, God gave that little group a burden to pray for Russia. This was a few years ago. And so every week they met and, and they would pray for something about Russia, that, that God would bring the gospel, that God would tear the walls down and the, the barriers would be broken and the gospel would penetrate uh, into the nation of Russia. And uh, they prayed for that for several, several years. And then what did God do? He broke apart the Soviet Union so that the gospel could go into those places where before it had never reached. And how they rejoiced that God had shared his heart with them as they labored with him in prayer and worship. And that's the kind of thing God loves to do. Just uh, recently, just the other day, uh, God did a realignment in my own life and ministry and heart. Uh, you know, every morning before I go to work, I, I get up and I go and I drive an auto parts van around. You've probably seen the orange and yellow van around Sydney Mines. That's me driving that thing. But every morning I try to get up and Sharon and I have, a, uh, have some Bible reading and we have prayer together. And uh, I'd been praying for our prison chaplains and redemption prison ministry, which is uh, something that the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church sponsors. And uh, I was reading about being a mentor and a Bible instructor through co correspondence. You don't have to go anywhere, you can do it all at home. 
but uh, they assign you uh, prisoners and you can correspond with them, you grade their text, you write them letters, you encourage them, and you just kind of share as much of your life as you can uh, through correspondence. And I had been reading about that and praying about it, and I said, Lord, you know what? I'm not doing a whole lot of ministry. I'm preaching occasionally and trying to witness to some of the guys at work and praying for my family. But other than that, I'm not really doing a whole lot. And I said, this is something I could do. And I continued to pray, and so I applied for this, and I was accepted, and I went through a, a short little course on Zoom and uh, got, got accepted. And right now I'm waiting for my first um, incarcerated Bible student. And so that's something you can pray for me, that that would, uh, that would go well, that God would bless that. But it was a realignment just coming out of my time of worship where God was, was uh, clarifying issues to me and, and showing me things that I needed to be involved in. But I believe that just as worship was clarifying for Isaiah as he saw Jesus there in the temple, it is clarifying for everyone who will truly set their minds and their hearts on things above and not just on things down here on earth. You know, worship is not just clarifying, it is also cleansing. cleansing. It is cleansing. I'd like you to consider um, King Uzziah, who uh, Isaiah mentions there in chapter one, or in verse one rather. Uh, Isaiah 2.17 says that the arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of man will be humbled. And this is what we find with uh, Uzziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Uzziah was a, a powerful and industrious king of Judah who reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. He accomplished a lot during his reign. Many building projects were completed. He led a, a powerful and well-trained army. He, he um, overcame, over, uh, 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 overpowered the Philistines and the Ammonites who were neighbors. And so by many definitions, he was a very successful king, except he was not successful spiritually. Okay? Spiritually, Uzziah was arrogant and prideful, and he approached worship that way. He said in his heart, I'm going to worship my way, and nobody is going to tell me how to do it. Okay? And so uh, if you know the story, you know what he did. He went into the temple, and he offered incense, he burned incense on the altar of incense. Now, Old Testament worship was regulated much more than New Testament worship. And there were things that priests could do and things that uh, other people could do. But one thing that was reserved only for the priests was burning the incense in the holy place. But, uh, but uh, Uzziah took it upon himself. He said, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to worship the way I want. And, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and so when he went in and did that, he was confronted by the priests. They said, no, what you're doing is wrong. And he became enraged and he began to, to, to yell at the priests because they had the audacity to confront him, the king. Well, what happened after that? You remember? God struck him with leprosy. He had to leave the temple then. And that leprosy stayed with him the rest of his life. 
And it was a, a reminder that the arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of man will be humbled. Because you see, there's two ways we can worship. We can worship like Uzziah. I'm going to do it my way no matter what. Or we can do it like Isaiah worshipped. And how does he worship? He worshipped humbly. He worshipped obediently. When God in his holiness and majesty is revealed to him, you know what? He comes undone. He says, woe is I. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And he knew that he was unworthy to be there. He was unworthy to be in the presence of God. And so he's prostrate before the king. And he's confessing his sin. And what happens? God comes and ministers to him and helps him and commissions him. It's exactly the opposite of the way Uzziah came. When God ministers to him, he brings an angel and he touches his lips with the coal from the altar. A very painful thing, but it reminds us of the pain and the suffering that our Lord Jesus endured upon the altar of the cross as he went there to take away our sin too. So let me ask you this morning, how do you worship? And I'm not talking about the form. I know the form of your worship. But I'm asking, do you come to the Lord humbly and obediently? Do you come to have your way or do you come here to have God's way? And I've been in churches where people come to have their way in worship. And it's not a, a very pleasant thing. Let me ask you, does the preached word humble you? As Nick gets up and preaches week by week, are you humbled by the word? Will you bow and say, yes, Lord, you've spoken. What you desire, I will do. Do the sacraments bring you to the foot of the cross in repentance and faith? And do the hymns cause you to soar with joy in your heart for the one who gave his life on Calvary for you? If not, if that doesn't happen, or it happens very rarely, then I think the words of Annie Dillard apply. In her book, Teaching a Stone to Talk, she writes about worship and she says this, on the whole, I do not find Christians outside the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear lady straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. It's a bit humorous, but it's true. Do we have any idea the power we invoke when we come before the Lord? Isaiah found out. Uzziah even found out. Do we know? So worship is clarifying. It is cleansing. But another thing that happens in worship is calling. Calling. 
in worship, God calls us to work, walk close with him and to be available to whatever his plans and purposes are for our lives. In verse 8, God calls Isaiah to a very specific ministry. He is to go and speak his word to those who will not hear and will not believe. Okay, how would you like to be sent out into a ministry like that? And, uh, you know, can I you can imagine what, what Isaiah must have thought. He said, give me a ministry where people are responsive, where I'm appreciated, uh, but not where there's going to be stone walls and, and hard hearts and, and possible persecution. But you see, what God calls us to first isn't the ministry so much. Before he calls us to serve him, God calls us to know him and to love him. In worship, we adore him, we honor him, we praise him, even if we don't always feel like it. But you know what? If you do it enough with a humble heart, then eventually you will feel it. You will enter in if you continue to humble yourselves and come and present yourself before the Lord. And if we are in love with our Savior, then when he calls us to do something, you know what? We'll be kind of like Abraham. But God called him to take his son, Isaac, and go up on the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. Can you imagine that? You remember the story with Abraham? I mean, what a hard thing to do. I mean, if somebody told me to do that, I'd say, well, you know, go, get away from me. I don't even want to talk to you. But if God calls you and he's someone you know and someone you love and you've, uh, you're used to walking and being obedient, then when God asks a hard thing of you, you're willing to do it. And that's what I believe happened with Isaiah. He knew his God. Yes, he wasn't perfect. Yes, he understood his sinfulness, but he knew his God, he loved his God. And when God said, yes, go, this people is not gonna be uh, appreciative of you. They're not going to always respond to you, but go anyway, say what I say. And Abraham said, yes, Lord. Wherever you go, I will go. Whatever you want me to say, I will say. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it joyfully. Because wherever God calls us, he will go with us and he will be with us and guide us and protect us and help us. And so that really brings us to the final thing we see here in worship, and that is consecration. Consecration. Isaiah does say, here I am, send me. Isaiah consecrates himself to God and his purposes. And, you know, for us, worship is never really complete until we respond to God's word as it's preached and we move at the leading and impulse of his Holy Spirit. Maybe God is calling you today to consecrate yourself to him and his plans and purposes for your life. Sometimes maybe we hear him uh, call us in our hearts or, or we feel him tug at our shirt tails about something that he wants to change or to happen in our life. Maybe there's, uh, he wants you to simply draw near to him or he wants you to forsake a, a certain pet sin that, uh, that you've held close to your heart. Or maybe he's 
uh, wanting you to give up something in your life is not necessarily a sin, but it's causing still a separation between you and the intimacy that God wants to have with you. And uh, maybe he wants you to step out in faith and do something that perhaps you've never done before. And uh, if you say no to God, or you say, no, uh, that's not for me, um, you may lose the opportunity. He may not call you again to that. And you may lose that intimacy and closeness with God that he has for you. Back in uh, South Carolina, uh, my pastor at Lexington Presbyterian Church, Joe Novenson, used to say that his biggest fear was that God would put him on a shelf and not use him because of his unfaithfulness. He said that was his biggest fear in ministry, not what people could do, but that God would be displeased because he had not fulfilled what God had asked him to do. I think that's really what we're seeing in verses 10 and 11 of our text. It's not that God doesn't want us to respond and repent or, or want uh, Judah to do that, but it's just that they have been unfaithful so many times that God has determined that judgment will come by the hand of the Babylonians. Israel or Judah will go into exile for 70 years until they learn that God is not mocked, that whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, there have been several times in my own life where the Lord brought me to a point of crisis. And I'll just mention one of them. One time, it was back when I was in the Marine Corps, and uh, I was uh, an infantry officer. And uh, that's a culture <laughs> that's unique. I've never found a culture like that before. Uh, but uh, it's all for one and one for all in that, and you conform uh, in something like that, and just, uh, just a unique culture. But uh, God was uh, really beginning to work in my heart, and uh, I had a great fear that if I drew near to the Lord, I would uh, undergo ostracism and uh, persecution. And so I didn't want to get close to God. I was really holding God at arm's length and, uh, and I didn't want to, I was, I was deathly afraid of that. And uh, I, I was afraid that, that, you know, people would start making fun of me and, and you know, I would uh, just be put on, Put aside there. You know what? God was relentless. He wouldn't let me go. He was merciful. And finally, uh, one day I said, yes, Lord, I'm going to draw near. I'll put my fears and my trepidations in your hands. And you know what? God blessed me when I did that. It was amazing. I never expected it. I never expected the blessing that he would bring to me. And it led me to leave the military and to enter into seminary. And so not only did God give me a ministry, but he gave me a wife to boot. <laughs> I thought I got a pretty good deal out of that. Uh, but you know what? Whenever we say yes to God, it's always worth it. It's never 
a good thing when we say no to God, but it's always a good thing when we say yes. And so this morning as we close, if the Lord is speaking to you about anything in your life, will you not keep him at arm's length? Will you not keep putting him off? Will you say, Lord, there's nothing in my life that is greater, there's nothing in my life that is sweeter or more satisfying to me than to draw near to you and to receive what you have planned and purposed for me. Isaiah chapter 2, or not Isaiah, but Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Will you say, yes, Lord, I will do those good works you prepared for me because I love you, because you first loved me, and you'll guide me, and you'll take care of me as I fulfill my calling in Christ Jesus. If you'll say yes to the Lord today, will you pray for me silently as, I, as we close? And uh, would you even mention it to me after the service if, if the Lord has been speaking? You don't have to even be specific, but just say, yes, the Lord was speaking, and, and I said yes to him. But would you bow with me now in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that the plans you have for us are not evil to cause us pain. They're not to hurt us or to destroy us, but rather you want to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. Your plans are to give us a future and a hope. And we come to you and we consecrate ourselves to you and to everything you have prepared for us. And thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you sent your son down here to earth to die for our sins so that we can be with you forever. Come into our hearts afresh today and help us to know your love and your kindness. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Be Still and Know, a ministry of Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines. To learn more about our ministry, please visit our website, www.carmenunited.ca. May God bless you this day.